turn out to read the word of God in the Old Testament and in the prophecy of Isaiah and in chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I'm reading this chapter because we turn to 1 Peter. It's obviously a chapter that Peter knew off by heart because he keeps in different ways referring to the words that we have here. Isaiah 53 at verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. For they had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil of the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Amen. This is the word of God. We trust that we will bless to us that reading from it. We're now going to praise God from sing Psalms and it's Psalm number 38. It's on page 48 and we're singing at the beginning of the psalm. Psalm number 38 and sing Psalms at verse number 1. It's on page 48. In wrath do not rebuke me, Lord, or in your anger chasten me. Your arrows deeply pierce my soul. Your hand lies on me heavily. From verse 1 to the verse mark 9 to God's praise.
turn together now to 1 Peter and chapter number 2 and reading at verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2 and at verse 24. He himself, that is Christ Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We turn to look at our study of, of this letter and uh, to remind ourselves that we are, are thinking of a people who were suffering because of their faith and a people who needed to be reminded of what faithfulness to God uh, looks like in a hostile world. And we saw the way in which Peter begins his letter by uh, placing them uh, directly in the revelation of God and in the way in which God brings a people to himself and connecting them in that way with the theology of, of their salvation. And we saw moving on from there as we come into uh, verse 13 of this chapter that we are looking at, at the way in which those who have faith testify to that faith in the world in which they live and especially in all of their different relationships in life in their social experience as well as in the public square. And we, we saw in the, the verses previous to this from verses 18 down to verses, verse 22, we saw the importance of the Christian's witness in the workplace. And we saw that the example of Christ in verse 21 is the example to follow when we are suffering for doing good in the workplace. And we recognize that perhaps more and more in the day in which we live, that there will be occasions when, if we are faithful to the word of God, that we will suffer for that. And the example of Christ who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, and so on, the example is very important the Christian in the workplace and the example of Christ. But Peter does two things. Once he starts speaking of the example of Christ, he cannot resist speaking about the death of Christ. That was what was central to the gospel for him. He cannot resist speaking about the cross of Christ. And the second thing is, that the example of Jesus is nothing without the cross of Jesus. The cross is where we must come back to. If you and I today are going to have the kind of uh, Christian witness that uh, follows the example of Christ, we cannot have that apart from the cross of Christ. So today we're moving from the Christian in the workplace and the example of Christ to the Christian in the workplace and the self-offering of Christ. I want to think, first of all, of the transaction that we see in these verses. In verse 24, he himself bore our sins. 
sins are any breach of the law of God. We spoke about going astray from God and the children's address and part of understanding sin is that moving away from the kind of conduct that God calls us to live by here in this world. It includes a rebellion against God, breaking away from the restraint of God. It also includes missing the mark in life. Here is the mark that God has given to us. Our sin is missing that mark. And when I think of sin, I also think of the way in which there is guilt and the way in which there is penalty. And for you and me today, your sin will always be your sin. Your sin cannot be my sin. Your sin cannot even be the sin of the Lord Jesus himself speaking with with all respect to what has taken place. Your sin cannot be anybody else's. Secondly, the guilt of your sin cannot be anybody else's. I cannot feel guilty for your sin. You cannot feel guilty for my sin. And certainly, the Lord Jesus cannot feel guilty for anybody's sin. He is the sinless one who knows nothing of the guilt that we read of in Psalm number 38. We need to understand when we're looking at this great transaction that Jesus does not take my sin, Jesus does not take my guilt, so what then does he take? The other aspect of sin in the presence of God is liability for punishment. There is a penalty for sin. And whilst Jesus cannot take my sin, whilst Jesus cannot take my guilt, he can take my penalty. And here he is brought before us in this wonderful transaction. He is bearing our sins, that is, the penalty of our sin. He is taking something up that belongs to you and to me. He is taking it away from us and he is taking it away somewhere else. And the Peter who keeps going back to the Old Testament wants them to remember the transaction in the Old Testament where the high priest comes and lays his hands on the, the goat of the sin offering and places the, the, the penalty of, of the sins of the people of God on the sacrifice and the sin offering goes and is slain as that which brings about atonement. And we read in Isaiah chapter 53 that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here is the, the transaction that is fundamental to all that the people of God are going to do in life, that if this transaction takes place, which deals with the penalty of their sin, then they can't have a relationship with God, which is impossible apart from that penalty being taken away. And when we look at the transaction, where does this transaction take place? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
We think of the body of the Lord Jesus. We think of the conception of the Lord Jesus and the womb of the Virgin Mary. We think of the infant and, and the manger in Bethlehem. We think of, of the, the youth growing up in Nazareth. We think of the Jesus who goes to the wilderness to be tempted. We think of the Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who is struggling with everything that is taking place. He is bearing the liability for the penalty of our sin. And we may ask, when did that take place? When did he begin to bear that? Can we say that he, that he was bearing it all of his life from the moment that he came into this world? Was he always conscious of why he was here, that he was going to suffer the penalty for our sin? He is certainly aware of that when he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the words of Hebrews 10, you did not desire sacrifice for this, but you prepared a body for me. Jesus is here in the world, the Son of God, because of this transaction in the mind, in the heart, in the covenant of God to save his people, that he will bear the penalty for our sins in his body. And he will do so on the tree. We can think of the moment or we can think of the steps that he took up to and onto the tree. There is motion, there is progression in the life of Jesus. There is his own, his own sense of growing in an understanding of why he is here. And the closer he comes to the cross, the more he is aware that he is here to, to pay the penalty. But interestingly, he doesn't bear our sins in his body to the cross. If Peter was going to say that, he, he would cause them to think of the practice in the Roman Empire of crucifixion. He doesn't want them to think about that. He wants them to think about the tree. And he wants them to think about the Old Testament use of, of the, the cross and the tree. Where the person who was crucified was cursed by God. And where the person that is crucified is bound, as if it were, under the wrath of God because of the curse of God. And we can read that in Deuteronomy chapter 21. We can see Paul referring to it in Galatians chapter 3. But the point is that Peter wants them to understand this transaction in the light of the Old Testament teaching of the Word of God so that they will see its full significance. And so that Paul can say in Galatians 3 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He is liable for the penalty and on the tree at Calvary, the penalty due to us for our sin, the eternal, infinite wrath of God becomes his great burden. It becomes his great burden that we read of in Psalm number 22. And because of that burden, 
His whole body begins to lose shape. His whole face moves away from even appearing to be a human being. There is the, the bearing of, of, of the liability for punishment. And there is the crushing burden of the wrath of God. Until that moment when, when he cries out, My God, in this transaction, why have you forsaken me? In the darkness of that moment, when God inflicts that penalty, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then Jesus comes out of the darkness and says, It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The transaction. The tree on which the king of glory died is absolutely necessary for any Christian living that we're going to do in this life. For anything that we're going to do to serve God, to be witnesses for God, we cannot possibly do it unless this penalty is removed, unless the problem is resolved, and unless we have that peace with God. The Christian in the workplace and the transaction on the tree at Calvary Secondly, and flowing on from there, there is the whole idea of transformation. This is in order to remove the penalty so that you and I can be transformed. And that's what we go on to read in verse number 24. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There is a, a transformation which takes place because there is movement. And when I read these words that, that we might die, it's a death that takes place by, through a new birth that moves me away from where I was to a completely new level and status of existence. Dying to sin. Becoming dead to sin by becoming alive to God. And it's that moment in life when, when as we read in chapter 1, whereby by the resurrection of Jesus that, that God has borne us again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And in that new birth, there is the way in which the Spirit of God brings us alive to God. And in this family transaction, there is a new child. There is a new child of God. There is a new son of God. There is somebody new in the family of God. And it is that birth that breaks me away from the sin to which I was attached for all of my previous experience in life. That we might die to sin. And we, we saw the different ways in which 
That sin is our problem. It's our problem because of its power over us. It's our problem because of the penalty attached to it. And it's our problem because it has authority. And today we might not realize that if we haven't been set free by the work of Jesus Christ, we, it, we might fail to realize that sin is our master, that he has such a powerful influence over us that we cannot but serve him as we read in Romans chapter 6. And all of that serving of sin brings about the penalty of sin. And so there is that essential break from, from that cycle of sinning because of the power and the authority of sin over me and penalty that is the breaking of that cycle that begins when the child of God is born again, dying to sin. That means for them that when they're living in this environment, as we saw in chapter 1, they are to be holy because God is holy. They are to live a life not like the life of the world, conduct that's different to the world around them because God has intervened and he's brought about a breakaway from that kind of behavior and brought them to the place where they are set free from sin. And that whole sense of freedom from sin is something that we cannot appreciate until this new birth takes place and the prison gates are open, the chains fall away and we are then set free to live to righteousness, to live the kind of life that is pleasing to God, to live the kind of life that is lived in the light of the word of God and especially the way in which God has called us into a covenant relationship with himself where he has given to us his law as he did to his people in the Old Testament in order to help us walk within that relationship and within that covenant and know his blessing within it. To live as the servants of God. And to capture that, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And he goes on to, to say that all of this was so that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the power of our past life, the flesh, but according to the spirit. In the moment of the new birth, there is the freedom to live for God. There is the enjoyment in living for God in a way that is pleasing to God. And all of this is based on the transaction at Calvary's cross, where the penalty has been removed. And the penalty being removed that causes Paul to say, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is that purpose of God, that transformation, that, that means 
breaking away from sin, but also living a life that is pleasing to him. And that transformation is going to take place. It must be have underlying it something that we cannot live without and we cannot be the children of God without. And we might ask, what is it that, that we need more than dying to sin and living to righteousness? What do you think we need more than that? Peter says, by his wounds you have been healed. There is a healing. And we know that, naturally speaking, healing is, is a medical term. We need expert, expertise, we need a process, we, we need professional people who, who are able to offer to us that kind of care. They need to have the skill to, to bring about a cure for our disease. We saw in Psalm 103 the way in which disease itself is, is brought together in the sense of, of uh, the sins of the people of God and how our sin is so much a disease that we need to be set free from. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, he was being accused of those who were following him. And, and he said to the person who was carried in on the bed, paralyzed, he needed healing. He said to him, your sins are forgiven you. And they are raging because who is this man that, that, that dares to forgive anyone's sins? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or, or take up your bed and walk. But he told him to, to rise up and to take up his bed. But he also said, take heart because your sins are forgiven. And here is the fundamental thing that's basic to the transformation that there is forgiveness and forgiveness is the powerful thing forgiveness is what sets us free forgiveness is what, what takes us back to Jesus on the tree and to realise that the penalty is no longer my own the penalty he has borne for me and the weight that we read of in Psalm 38 that David speaks of in Psalm number 32 the weight of our guilt is taken away and we have the wings of forgiveness that spiritually we feel as if we can just fly and serve God such as the marvellous way in which the freedom fills our whole inner beings the guilt, the, the sense of, of failure taken away, the forgiveness of God. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. The transformation. Go to the workplace tomorrow and try and do what Peter says by yourself without the tree of Jesus without this transformation and no matter how good your intention you will not get very far you cannot do it as you are you need to, to come to the place where in embracing the Jesus who died on the tree 
to come to the place where you sense that, that, that new birth that comes from God alone and where this desire and the freedom to, to serve God takes over your life. You will understand then that the cross of Jesus is the source of power and it's being connected to that that gives you the strength and the wisdom and the grace day by day to live as a child of God in the workplace and in any area of life. Transformation that's based on the transaction. And thirdly, finally, there has to be that transition. And Peter closes this chapter with that transition. For you were straying like sheep, but under returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You were straying like sheep. In the Old Testament, it was people drifting away from God. And they were drifting away from God because of those who were appointed to be their leaders because they weren't teaching them and instructing them in the things of God. And we hear Jesus in, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering aimlessly in life. And that whole picture of, of returning means going back to a point of departure. And as we think of this transition, we need to think of the imagery of the Old Testament, where I have this picture, where I have God with his people at Mount Sinai. And on the other extreme of the scene, I have God, I have the people of God in exile in Babylon. And there is a journey from where they were to know where they find themselves. And if they are going to know God's salvation, they need to be taken from where they are back to where they belong. And of course we know that for ourselves we have been sinners since the day of our birth. That's our status before God. And it's not as if we're going back to a place that, that we left behind at some point along life's way. We came into this world conceived in guiltiness and sin. But the imagery is there in the Old Testament. Here is where the people of God were. This is where they ended up. And salvation is about bringing them from there back to be with their God. You were straying like sheep. Sometimes sheep like to stray a lot. They're probably restricted more and more nowadays from straying because of the way in which sheep are fenced in. I remember when we did sheep from Point who, used, who would come out to the Pentland Road during the summer. On occasions, sheep from the Point area appearing in uh, Frank and Carloway. Sheep like to stray if, if, uh, if there are no boundaries. That there's wander off and they can do so and be lost. And sometimes that's just the way we are ourselves. We, we stray away from the God of the Bible, from the family of God, and we drift aimlessly because there is so much scope 
in the world to drift away from God. But there is that sense of lostness. And we are all lost as we are by nature. But it is these lost ones for you are straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It's the coming back. We see the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He came to himself. He was in his own exile and he remembered the house of the father. And he got up and he arose and he said, I will return to my father. There is that, that repentance. I've sinned against heaven and before you, my father. There is the understanding of the need to come back uh, to the point of departure. Uh, and to find in the family home the very things that he had thrown away and didn't see as precious at the time. But realizing in the crisis of the exile, the preciousness of what was at the father's home. And that's what we, what we do as, as, as sinners when we come to understand the forgiveness of God. It awakens us to the goodness and the grace and the love of God. And in our hearts we, we are returning to him and into his embrace. But in this transition, I want us to notice as we close that the emphasis in the transition is not so much on the enjoyment of the family privileges, but it is on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. When you read about the shepherd in the Old Testament, David was a shepherd. But when God speaks about a shepherd, he speaks about the person whom he has commanded to rule over his people. The shepherd in Israel is God's king. The shepherd in Israel is God himself. He is the one with authority. The overseer is the same in the New Testament. I read about the overseer in Acts chapter 20 and, and Paul and the Ephesian elders. The overseers who were appointed by the Holy Spirit of God. It's the authority of God. The authority of the overseer. The authority of the shepherd. Why is that important? It's important because the Christian in the workplace lives their, life, their lives because of the cross and because of the transformation live their lives under the authority of Christ living in submission to him and when there is a dilemma when, when the emperor wants me to do something as would be the case in, in, in Paul and Peter's day or when the public square or, or my employer wants me to do something they have authority but they don't have supreme authority I'm here under the authority of Jesus Christ, the shepherd and the overseer. And I cannot compromise in any way what he requires of me. Wherever I go in life, whether it's work or pleasure, wherever I go, I am under the lordship and the authority 
of Christ. And that's my transition. I come from my lostness and perhaps in my service to sin and being under the authority and reign of sin, I'm set free to be the child of God who is under the kingship and the lordship of my Saviour. And that's where my loyalty lies. That's the person I'm devoted to. That's the person that I serve. So you or anyone else can, can, can tell me to do something different to that. I cannot do it. Because unless it, it conforms to what Jesus wants me to do, I simply cannot do it. And Joseph said something similar in the house of Potiphar. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? There is that sense of always being under the authority of Christ so that wherever I go, my desire and my duty is to be pleasing to him. So may God help us to, to live life every day understanding the importance of the cross of Jesus before we come to the example of Jesus. Understanding our need of, of being born again and of having your sins forgiven. And understanding that when all of that happens, it's so that we might serve, so that we may be like Paul who was a slave of Christ and always did what was in accordance with the will of Christ and the will of God. May God bless the devil's word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we rejoice in you as the God who has done the marvellous thing, the God who has done the thing that never entered into the heart of any man. And we rejoice in you today as the great God of our salvation, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the God who worked out such a marvellous plan that you enacted in the person of your Son and in his finished work, so that today we may have peace with you, have our sins forgiven, have your spirit in our hearts, and have your love poured into our hearts, so that we strive day by day to serve you and to follow you and to honour you. So help us to do that, we pray, and accept our thanks for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to close by singing Psalm number 23. It is Psalm, Psalm number 23 in the Scottish Psalter on page 229, Psalm 23. There are words well known to us all and they speak to us so powerfully of the relationship between the Lord and his people. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me in the quiet waters by. The whole psalm to God's praise.
and stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.